Hi everyone and welcome to Skadai Talks. We are Alex and Genesis and we are members of Skadai which stands for the Student Center for Diversity, Advocacy and Inclusion. Skadai aims at fostering a more inclusive and diverse environment for students and staff in higher education. And we are super happy to have you back for another episode of Skadai Talks. And yeah, for the ones who are here for the first time, welcome. For the ones who are back for another episode, glad to have you here. Um, I, Alex, have hosted multiple, uh, the show multiple times already, but if you're hearing my voice for the first time, hi, I'm from Bulgaria and I'm one of the co-founders of Skidai. With me today I have Genesis, or as I call her, Jen or Jenny, and the two of us have been friends for a, a bit now, so if you hear some inside jokes, um, I hope we don't throw you off with that, <laughs> all right? But we'll try our best, we'll try our best. And yeah, Jen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself now? Hello everyone, my name is Genesis. You might recognize my voice from our Skadai vlogs or from our very first podcast episode, Students on Black Pete. I am the resource coordinator here at Skadai. I'm 23 years old and I'm from Bonaire. I've lived in the Netherlands for four years now. Thank you, Jenny. Well, let's, uh, I guess let's first look at what we're gonna be talking about today. Our topic today is a bit of a controversial one, I guess. Um, it's about cancel culture. Uh, but before we dive into it, uh, maybe some of you have heard the term, maybe you've seen it places, maybe you're very familiar with it, but regardless, let's look at the definition. So cancel culture essentially is a practice of withdrawing support from public figures and or companies after they've done or said something deemed offensive, discriminatory or abusive. So, for example, more extreme cases of this, you can think of Harvey Weinstein or Chris Brown, both of them known as abusers. Um, but in a more pop culture sense, um, you can think of people such as David Do Dobrik, who, for example, is a very popular YouTuber um, and creator who was recently called, called out for showcasing behavior that's deemed problematic. In his case, that resulted in brands pulling the plug on deals featuring him um, or, for example, his comment section on YouTube flooded with criticism. Um, and But yeah, the, the concept of cancel culture is currently highly, I guess, controversial and one of the most polarizing matters on the internet, really, but also beyond, to be fair. Um, and a lot of people discuss it in the context of how it potentially limits freedom of speech. Um, and cancel culture is a more prominent concept in the U.S., but it's also becoming quite relevant across the world and also, of course, in the Netherlands, where we are based currently. So yeah, I mean, this is the general overview. If if you're maybe missing some more information, I encourage you to pause and maybe look up some more interesting things on the topic. But Genesis and I are going to be diving into it with our own opinions. Um, we're going to be discussing what we think of it. Um, maybe we'll bring in some, some recent cases, either uh, from celebrities or also in our own environments, because cancel culture is not just for super big platforms it's also for yeah a lot of people talk about it even if if they're just yeah feel that cancel culture is prominent in their friend group or maybe their higher education institution so that's going to be part of our talk today um so yeah we're going to be taking turns but i i want to ask jenny to go first what do you think jenny uh what do you think about cancel culture well i for one am a big fan of cancel culture. I think that, especially looking at it in, in in the context of recent years, it has really been this tool that shifts the power. 
we have these people in these very high up there positions doing terrible things and not being held accountable because either they're not in not only their image or their position or their financial situation enables them to get out of all these these situations without any kind of responsibility or accountability uh, harvey weinstein being a big example of that and through cancel culture we shift the power to the people anyone that has access to instagram twitter facebook can engage can increase that that level of criticism and demand for this person to be held accountable and that for me is is shifting the power so i i really am a big fan of cancel culture and think that it's so effective in holding people accountable because we hit them where it hurts their monies yeah so you're let's say because what i'm hearing is you're talking about bigger names harvey weinstein obviously yeah. bi billionaire I'm, i'm assuming i don't know how much money he has but i, I yeah. think he probably has a lot of yeah. money yeah. so in the context you're more saying well there's this person who has endless amount of resources and people in important positions and it's only because we have this new loop it we're able to actually as you said shift the power yeah but what do you Okay, what do you think about people with way smaller platforms? Well, I think still, I think, you know, privilege is layered. While these people walking around us don't have the same level of power or money and, or influence that people like Harvey Weinstein or these big celebrities that we're canceling on Instagram have, um, they still have layers of privilege that it is through cancel culture that they're called out and held accountable for the things that they say and that they do. Um. All right, but let's think about the specific words in cancel culture because cancel literally means stop, like discontinue and remove kind of. Yeah. And while I personally 100% agree that with people such as Harvey Weinstein or um, I can't think of other examples right now, but there's plenty, or, okay, Trump. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's people who certainly deserve to be discontinued um yeah it's i think anyways like if they have public disapproval and just they are not given big platforms they still have enough resources to have platforms to speak i think it's it's silly to say that you're taking away their yeah their voice right um but at the same time when we take it on a smaller level How do we make sure, because cancel really implies to this discontinuation, this stopping of a, of a conversation. And while I, I genuinely get where you're coming from, and I agree with that, it's like you, you need to be held accountable for far too long before the, this concept of, of cancel culture. Um, yeah, I mean, inequalities were, were widely accepted. It was, it was more rare to have people who, who want to take accountability for anything. And it was based on their own will. And now it's more like, as you said, the people say this is wrong and this should not be a social norm anymore. And this is the shift that we're seeing. But as I'm saying, so my question is the cancel part of it. Um, how do we make sure that we can ha keep having a conversation somehow and not encapsulate? And I'm not talking about people like Harvey Weinstein, because that's not even... <laughs> That's yeah. not up for debate. No, I get what you mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Like, like you're talking more in the sense of someone that said something racist yeah. in a classroom, for instance. 
For example, that, yeah, if if these kinds of things, especially on an interpersonal level, because I want to shift away for in this in this podcast, I want to shift away from the systemic and institutionalized nature of of discrimination, yeah. right? I want to look more into more of the interpersonal situations. Um, and I personally am wondering, I'm not even asking you as a give me the answer. I'm just thinking like, how do we do that? Because I personally, um, well, I used to be like 100% for like calling people in uh, as opposed to calling people out. But I've also learned through my own experiences that calling people in and, and like providing so much information and trying to help them understand where they're wrong and why their mindset is hurting people. They're just going to take all of this information and do nothing with it. And you've just wasted your time. But when do you know to invest your time into this conversation? When do you know that's a moment to call someone in instead of call someone out? When and is the cancellation the ultimate goal with smaller instances, as I said, like not the, the big, yeah. big cases. So those are all the kinds of questions that I have. And I, I personally don't exactly know where and how I stand on those. Well, I think my stand on that has radicalized over the years. I think first and foremost, there's so much information out there. And in the same way that I accessed it, I, 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 acknowledge, I acknowledge that a lot of the the knowledge that I have also stems from I experience it. You know, I am a woman of color. Um, but everyone has access to information in this day and age. So I become a little bit more strict in that regard. I have become a little bit more strict in that regard in the sense of you can access this information. You should know at this point that saying the N-word is not okay. It's impossible for you at this point, at this day and age, not to know that saying the N-word is not okay. So that's be that's why I've become a little stricter on it because I'm like, you're not even making an effort to educate yourself on it. So why should I, the victim or the object of your discrimination or whatever it is, be putting myself in a position to educate you after you've offended me or been or said something um, inappropriate to me well, you can do the research yourself. So I think that's why I've radicalized a bit on it because I'm really tired of putting myself in that position. I'd rather be like, you fucked up. Now find a way to enlighten yourself on why you fucked up and how you do that, that's on you. There's so many people of color or people from underrepresented groups out there that are creating this content, that are creating content for how should you recover from saying racist, offensive, discriminatory things. So look those up and do your own homework. I My role would simply be to call you out on what you did wrong, and I'm not even doing that for you. I'm doing that for myself and for the other underrepresented groups that you might have offended or that you might have discriminated with your comment or with whatever it is that you did. So that's my that's my take on it and why I've radicalized and really, really become not only pro calling out but just completely against calling in because i just it's exhausting like i don't want to be put in that position yeah yeah i get that um I, and then i completely re can respect that i think it's also for me I, I maybe it's also like there's a personal factor in it right yeah it's um i do I mean you mentioned layered privilege and i think 
of course, I'm part of various underrepresented groups, but I do have the, yeah, this privilege of, of having my white skin and like being able to, to not feel, yeah, always constantly attacked in these situations. So I have the privilege of sitting there and having that conversation. So I think for me, I personally will take it when I feel like it's a safe environment. Yeah. Um, but I totally understand the, you know, your view on it. That makes complete sense. Um, but I, okay, let's look at one more thing that I was, that now that you said like how you recover from it, how, how many celebrities have been canceled in the last whatever year or two? And how awkward is the, first you have the apology video, yeah. <laughs> then you have the, what is it? The me inviting some uh, underrepresented people to be on my platform because yeah. I'm so gracious. <laughs> and then I don't know. It's just it's so awkward. And I get that people are frustrated because it is polarizing because I feel like anyone who has a slightly progressive audience is going to take all of these steps. And it's just so I don't know. It's very cringy to me. Yeah, it's become really like rehearsed. It feels almost like, you know, a whole ass performance, you know, like, oh, I fucked up. Now I write a cringy apology on the notes app of my iPhone. And then I make a video to really, you know, let it sink in like I mean it. And then, yeah. as you said, invite <laughs> underrepresented groups on my platform. And do yeah. all like Camila Cabello racial healing, <laughs> yeah. was it? Yes. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Like that has become, I guess, one of the the results of no longer being really told what how to what to do after you you fucked up. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't know what the what the solution yeah. would be. I think it's also very case oriented. It depends on what you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Absolutely, and it's the th that's the thing. Like on one side, I completely understand that nobody oh, we have this expression in Bulgarian. Nobody's born knowledgeable. Yeah, okay, that <laughs> like sense. that comes with time, right? Um, and I do understand that you're not gonna always know the right things to say or do or whatever. Like I myself know that as for me, like it took me a while to learn so many things, and especially in the past couple of years. So I totally get the concept of feeling frustrated and irritated in this like pool of of so much information as you also said because there's also that negative side of there's too much out there yeah um so i get that and that's it's it's very difficult um but then at the same time for people with some platforms when you have a platform already i think it's we in the past five to ten years we've seen the magnitude of social media and if you exert so much influence w even if you're not as resourceful and powerful as harvey weinstein even if you have yeah. just 10,000 followers, which I hear is not even a big platform nowadays, that's still so much, so many people. Yeah. And you can sell basically anything, um, any item or idea, and you de genuinely do carry this, this responsibility. And yeah, I don't, as I said, I don't know about canceling. I'm, I don't know, for example, especially for smaller creators, also younger creators. Yeah. What does that do to them, right? Because also you you get a lot of hate. I know I noticed, especially on TikTok, once you fuck up a little bit um, and you have a larger audience, because TikTok, you get an audience like instantly. Yeah. And you do this one wrong thing, let's say, and then there's so much hate, death threats and whatnot, and people are following you. So it's like it it is 
like you can definitely see the magnitude of of social media and the power it has to 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 create and tear people down so yeah. there's a lot of power in in this yeah in this concept also of cancel culture but i also want to shift it like shift the perspective on this conversation a little bit because i also feel like cancel culture is usually pinned onto um i guess the left side of the political spectrum or to more progressive ideas. Um, but I I honestly, when I look to the right, the moment you mention anything that's from the left side, you're also automatically canceled on that side. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, I was, I was going to say, like, <laughs> for me, honestly, the right conservatives are always canceling everyone. I think they started with a canceling. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, it's not, it's just social media puts it in perspective and, and it's it's more bubbled, but yeah. it's it's been around and it is still prominent on both sides. Yeah, but I think we need to also learn to separate cancel culture, like actually canceling someone, or the the action of the act of of really excluding someone because you don't share the same beliefs. Like those are very different things. Yeah. There's someone well, did something wrong and then they deserve to be held accountable for it or someone did something I don't agree with. Yeah. So I'm going to what exclude them, shame them. I don't I don't so those are two very different concepts that often um overlap. Yeah, but that's the thing like uh, there's a lot of people who still think that LGBT rights or like trans rights are a matter of perspective and a matter of belief. Yeah. Like and that's not the case. And it's it never was, but especially now with with the um, you know everything that's been happening in the past couple of years, these things can't be questioned at this point anymore. Like, if you don't understand the concept of equality, equity, and all of these things for, if you're not from that social identity or that social group, then it's it's just you lack some knowledge, empathy, and I don't know. <laughs> Like, it's not a matter of yeah. belief. Like, being gay is not a belief. Yeah. It's a fact. And it's a fact that most places around the world, there is no equality, whatever the the laws may be. Yeah. That's very true. That's very true. I agree with you. I don't think that, that's, that that falls under the umbrella of cancel culture. That's just, as you said, ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But... Cancel culture itself, do you think that it is effective? That's a good question. I think I think I've seen some some creators that I follow online. I feel like if their activism was performative and so they they put BLM in their bios and they said a few progressive thoughts on their <laughs> on their social media channels, and then someone like noticed like problematic behavior in them, like in in the way they're, I don't know, using their platform and then say they get canceled yeah. and then automatically they're like, oh, removes everything from the bios, retracts everything they've ever said. And it's just like, so you used to believe in human rights. Now you don't anymore. It's so in this sense, it's like you kind of see who, like you, you are able to see people more of people's true colors. On another hand, I do think it does alienate people. So I think some people do deserve to like really be like 
brought back down to earth. In that sense, it can be effective. But for some people, it can be very alienating and encapsulating. And I mean, I'm not going to say like sometimes it pushes them to the other side, because if that's possible, then you never were on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you never were on the right side to begin with. Um, but I feel like now, especially with social distancing, like you're not able to or, you know, just in general, shifting to a more digital world, you are more alone behind your screen than before. And you're not able to to really like have these conversations. So I think there's not an absolute, uh, I can't give you a definitive answer. I can't say it is effective, period, or it isn't. To yeah. me, it's effective for some people, but it isn't for others. And I feel like, I don't know, with people with big platforms and money, I'm always suspicious about everything. Like, I, I don't know. There, yeah. I can't tell you. But I think in my personal environment, it's like, it can be effective, it's just, it's a, that's why I think in my personal environment, depending on the person, I prefer to take the calling in approach. And online, I don't even engage, you know, I'm not like, yeah. I'm not going to be there like commenting and <laughs> yeah. these kinds of things. Yeah, I think, well, I agree with you. It is a very difficult thing to to say, you know, it is or it isn't. Um, I think it has its pros in the sense of, for instance, the counseling in the in the sense of for me, for instance, artists like R. Kelly and Chris Brown, I've remove them from all my streaming platforms and I don't listen to their songs so that they never get money for my stream. And I know I'm one person, but if we all collectively do something like that, I think that in that way it harms their bank account and it limits the amount of power that you have. So in that sense, I think it is effective. It is effective in when we decide, look at Victoria Ju Victoria's, Victoria's Secret. I was going to say Victoria Justice. <laughs> Sorry, girl, you didn't do anything. But Victoria's, Victoria's Secret. Finally, right now, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect, but finally, after their their creative director said a couple of years ago, oh, uh, we don't uh, showcase transgender models or plus size models because they don't sell whatever bullshit fantasy they're trying to sell. Yeah. Now they're trying to retreat from that because people were canceling them and calling them out and it took very long, but something is being done. You know what I mean? It's, it's flawed and it's not perfect in my opinion, but yeah, something was done through cancel culture. I completely agree. I mean, especially the Victoria's secret, um, case, like when I read how Victoria's secret actually started, I was like, yuck. Like, it started with this man in the 60s who wanted to buy his wife lingerie, went to the store, everything was too not sexy, and then he was like, whoa, I have to create this lingerie store where men can buy their women underwear. And so this Victoria's Secret was essentially created by a man with the purpose of men be having comfort in women's laundry stores. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the actual hell yeah it's yeah. crazy and um i didn't know any of this and that's why i'm like now that they're rebranding and everything i'm like well okay nice but i'd rather buy it from rihanna yeah you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but what i mean that's the thing it's like also even if you look at the um, clothing industry I mean, it's a very like zoomed out perspective of cancel culture, but everyone was like, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are like, well, 
mm, maybe, maybe fast fashion brands such as H&M and whatever aren't as sustainable and are highly problematic with their exploitation of people. So, you know, people start buying less there, you know, changing their behavior and they're changing with it. They're, they have hyper flawed uh, sustainability campaigns that are also like obviously not doing a lot and not fixing the yeah. problem at all. They're still the creators and enablers of the problem. But you can see like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, show them where the, where, that I'm not gonna give them my money anymore and that they, they're not deserving of it. So I do agree with you with what you're saying, like removing these people or brands from your, from your platforms, from your reach. Yeah. It's definitely a, a power move. And if more people will do that, then you're like, I'm not going to listen to someone who sexually assaulted multiple women. Yeah, exactly. Or even one woman for that matter, like yeah. whoever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, even that has its downsides because brands like, as you mentioned, H&M, what do they do? It's they kind of they put a Band-Aid on it rather than fixing the actual problem. I think some one of the downsides of cancel culture is that it's very hype oriented you know when there's like super a lot of hype everybody's like yeah cancel 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 and then all of a sudden the hype dies down because they did something some performative crap that's like a little band-aid on it and then we've moved on to the next issue and people don't actually get to the point where they take accountability where they actually do what needed to be done in order to repair what they did to the the wrong thing that they did to begin with. And it's because we're so hype oriented. So that's one of the downsides for me when it comes to the cancel culture is that we're kind of okay with whatever crap they present to us. You know, whatever yeah. band-aid that they put, it's like, okay, they tried their best. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And people never actually we never give the space for people to or we never demand the space for people in organizations to take accountability or the things that they, they wrong that they did wrong. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's even look at our own university, the Hansa. Like we we started not as Skadai, but as individuals, this petition to demand racial justice in our university. And um, just in general calling out different inequalities in our in our halls. And it's it's a very slow process because understanding where the problem is and not just slapping a band-aid on it and just having uh, diversity and inclusion committee that doesn't fix anything. It's not done. You need to do so much more work and you need to change your entire functioning yeah. essentially. And it's, and you're right. Like most of the actions not, I'm not talking about our university right now. I'm talking about any organization or person who knows that this is the way to go. Like also all these brands that pull away from creators and like popular figures, like the example I gave with David Dobrik, they're not pulling away because they genuinely know that what he did was wrong. They're just like, oh, huh, bad rep. Uh, yeah, exactly. We don't want to lose our audience. Bye. And then, you know, move on to the next celebrity. If they're deemed problematic, oh, move on to the next celebrity. Yeah. It's like there's no human aspect to it at all. It's just money <laughs> yeah you're right yeah and it is i mean to also as i said like i mentioned earlier like when i uh, said about our university but with organizations in general i feel like everyone's like oh my god we have to do this diversity and inclusion thing and it's very annoying because it's the same people who have no clue what diversity and inclusion means trying to do diversity and inclusion work and they don't 
can't even grasp the concept of what does inclusion mean. Do you understand that inclusion means that it involves a systemic change and removal of barriers towards underrepresented groups? Or do you think it just means, oh, I got to create a welcoming environment because those are two very different things. Yeah. A welcoming environment you can create with some social activities and some party poppers and some champagne at the beginning of <laughs> yeah. whatever the school year or like a work party or something like that's welcoming environment and having a great community manager at your office or something. I don't know. Yeah. That's a welcoming environment. And that's but that's also what a lot of people think inclusion means. And it's so f could, couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, but exactly as you said, but one of the things that we've been struggling so much with as since our petition is explaining to our institution, our university, that it's not just about what you do. It, it's just as important how you do it. It's been so, as you said, the diversity and inclusion policies everywhere. Everybody's like, oh, we need to have a DNI policy, a DNI team. And it's not done properly. It's you're not jumping through the right hoops to get there because it's easier to do it in this tokenized, tokenistic way than the inclusive way it's meant to be because that costs money that costs yeah. time you can't do that in one month but all the companies you are can't like, even no, do it trendy. in a year exactly <laughs> they're like oh no it's trendy now we need to yeah. we need to have it out now that we're super inclusive i mean it's it's exactly as if like you would be like oh our i don't know our institution needs to be sustainable and then you're like hmm, you know we don't need any experts on that here's like uh, some trash cans for separate trash you know, like plastic yeah. and whatever. And then as if in that case, you would, even though people would separate, sep uh, will would throw away their trash separately in the halls, then you put all of the trash together in one, when yeah. you take it away, it's kind of just like, oh, just for people to see that we do the sustainability thing, you know? Yeah. It, it wouldn't, if you're not doing it substantially or if you're like, I feel like for people and institutions, it's important to like, okay, if, if there's a problem with your institution, with how you're handling your diverse student body or your diverse worker group, then take your time. Don't just do it because there's a demand for it. Yeah. Take actual time because if you do it super flawed, then the demand is still there and there's going to be even more problems because you're just not going to yeah. do it well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and right now as you're, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the, the point I made about uh, calling out and why I don't and how I don't think it's it's the objects of people's discrimination or exclusions responsibility to educate people. But now as you're mentioning it, I'm thinking, you know, one of the, the negative sides of that is that people don't make the effort to do it right if they're not being told how to do it, you know, and we hit this loop of people just really tokenistically or superficially changing, you know, as you said, all the apology videos from celebrities, but also from organizations, this DNI team on their social media or on their website, you know, have a landing page on diversity and inclusion, and that's enough. And it's because we've we've shifted away from really speaking about these issues in depth. And I I'm, I still stand firm at. It's not the responsibility of the underrepresented groups, but we need to find a more sustainable approach to it that yeah. doesn't put underrepresented groups at the expense of underrepresented groups. Uh, that doesn't 
come at the expense of underrepresented groups, but that at the same time ensures in-depth um, corrections of the problem, in-depth solutions, in-depth approach, in-depth action. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. And I think that's the thing. People are so concerned with cancel culture, but they're more concerned with, oh, no, what are people going to think of me as opposed to what, did I, what is the harm that I did? It's like we had yeah. that classmate who said some highly, like, racist things during class, basically m praising Black Pete and <laughs> just being like, oh, it's so funny how, you know, people... Um, feel offended by Black Pete and they thought it's a f silly joke but I mean how of course it is to you as a white man who's never <laughs> experienced these kinds of issues and then the instant reaction to that was like no no I'm not racist I have black friends what the fuck do you mean I'm not racist and it's like okay but what if you accept that you are racist because we all are I mean, that's the society we live in. And where do we move on from that? It's like, it, I, I don't understand why people are so obsessed with like the label because yeah. they're like, they're so obsessed with like not having the cancel culture because that's such a label and that's such a, the, the culture of that. They're also not upset. Oh, don't label me a racist because I'm not. It's like, okay, but you don't even want to start the conversation, you know, like, yeah. You don't even want to start, you, you don't want to do the internal work. So if you don't want to do that, then what's the point of any of it? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I, um, I was recently thinking about, and I also, I, I wrote about it in a blog I wrote for Let's Talk About Sex Kroninga, um, that we are so uncomfortable with the labels and that as society, we have really molded the way that we talk about issues to satisfy or to make it comfortable for the people hearing it but also for the people doing it that we we shift the labels that we use you know it's like oh you know we can't call this rape or sexual assault we need to label it you know sex without consent or something that yeah. you that people are more comfortable with and it's like no be uncomfortable with that label be uncomfortable with the fact that you violated consent and whether like, whatever your intention was, exactly. like, I don't care what your intention was. Maybe it really didn't come from a place of realization that this is something racist and that is inappropriate. Yeah. I, I completely can agree that maybe it really for you didn't come from there. But now that you've realized that it offends people because it is racist. Exactly. Where do you move on from that? Yeah. So you're like, well, because I didn't intend it to be such, then it doesn't count. Like... If you, if I accidentally, I don't know, uh, step on your foot, well, I didn't intend to. Okay, that's very different. Yeah. But I'm still going to apologize. You, mean, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not going to be like, I didn't intend to. So why why are you crying because I stepped on your yeah, foot? It like, still hurts. Exactly. It still hurts. Yeah. And okay, it's like racism and, and like accidentally stepping on your foot. <laughs> two completely different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's about that we need to, just because we've made it so comfortable by removing these labels and using more comforting language when speaking about these things or that considered politically correct language, which really isn't, yeah. to talk about these things that make people feel more comfortable in it, that yeah. people are less likely to take action on 
the things that they do. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying about political correct language and like the whole issue with that, I, I, it really bothers me because the people who say, oh, uh, I mean, I've met a lot of people who um, never take a side. They're always like, oh, I understand everyone. They just basically don't have opinion an opinion on on any of it because likely they're not affected by these issues. And they're like, oh, why are you being so politi- politically correct? Wait, aren't actually you being politically correct by avoiding any of these topics and avoiding giving an opinion? Because oh, that's right, good, that's an interesting thought. I never thought about it like that. Because I feel like I'm I'm just using language that is con- considerate of the people around me. Yeah, and I'm still speaking on fact. I'm still speaking on my opinions. These are just my opinions. Yeah. But you avoiding these conversations and not wanting to talk about race and not wanting to talk about your white privilege. Yeah. Because they're a little radical and they're uncomfortable. Yeah, you're right. That is what is politically correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's also the other thing. Like, a lot of people are like, no, everyone should get a platform. Doesn't matter if they're like a neo-Nazi. What? Are you kidding me? Very recently, I think last week, there was uh, a neo-Nazi on Bulgarian, like on a Bulgarian morning show, like doing all the, the signs and like, just very openly being a neo-Nazi. And that is very harmful because we don't have an education system that prepares us to know uh, what a lot of, you know, what the harm of the alt-right is. We don't have an education system that prepares us to understand the magnitude of how the marginalization of certain social groups affects their livelihoods. So having such big platforms for people with very right-wing views is also an issue for me. I'm like, I'm not saying put them in jail immediately when, but I'm saying don't just, for the sake of having freedom of speech, put people on display who can actively harm others. Yeah. I think people just ignore that it's about the results of your actions. It's about the results of what you say. You know, like it's it's, yeah, great, freedom of speech, whatever. But these have very negative results. Me using the word someone struggling with homelessness or someone um, in a position of homelessness rather than calling the person homeless is not going to have a negative impact on anything. It's just a way for me to be more inclusive of this person and acknowledge that their identity goes beyond their current situation, their current living situation. But being a neo-Nazi and sharing those beliefs with everyone, with the public and calling people to do terrible things, that is harmful. Like that has very bad consequences. So with the whole freedom of speech conversation, we completely neglect all the time. Like what are the results of what people are saying? Yeah, we really. All right. Um, Well, I guess it's appropriate now to discuss what are some good steps to take when someone, let's say, calls you out. I I don't know. Okay, I'm just going to jump the gun. I personally think that especially let's I'm going to look at it from an interpersonal case where it's in your small environment. It's not a big celebrity or a medium celebrity for me. It's important to. Let's say you're not going to be all 
oh, I'm not racist, so like, let's move on from this. If you're actually like, oh, crap. <laughs> like there's a group of people that is mad at me. I feel like the first thing you need to just realize is it's don't put it on, your end goal shouldn't be to get a forgiveness. Like that's, that shouldn't be the end goal of it. Um, I feel like if you've lost trust with this group of people, what, what can you do in your education or in your approach, in your language next time when you're, when you're in a similar situation or just in general, when you communicate, what it, what is it, what are the steps that you need to take to not cause the same uh, controversy and, and hurt in people. And of course, if uh, some people may recognize that and quote unquote forgive you, but as I said, it's not about that. So I think you you should just, I don't know, not count on this group of people or this person mm, exempt, exempt, exempting you from, from the hurt you've caused them, but rather just focus on how can you do better in general, in the future with with random new people or people in your environment already. That's my take on it. Don't really know how that applies for celebrities, but I also don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a really good one. I think I really resonated with what you said, like don't expect people to forgive you because sometimes that's not going to be possible. You really did hurt people and the trust is gone and people don't owe you forgiveness because you've changed or because you regret what you did um so really look at it from internally like how do i make sure i do better next time i really like that i think um a while ago i think this was this was a couple of years ago a if i'm not mistaken south korean influencer wore cornrows or box braids and as we know those are traditionally um traditional hairstyles for black women protective hairstyles for black women and she was called out for it and what she did was she made a video taking out the cornrows that explained why it was wrong for her to wear them what cornrows are the history of cornrows uh black women's history with cornrows and why it was inappropriate for her to wear them and why what i liked so much about that was not only that she took accountability for what she had done that she really showed that she took the time to educate herself and then educate all of those people that she had conveyed to that it was okay for them to wear this hairstyle even if they weren't black that it wasn't so she actively worked on repairing the damage that she did maybe all of it wasn't wasn't you know completely um salvageable but she did a very big effort and i appreciated that so much so things like that, I think it, it felt so genuine. It felt honest and it really felt I learned from my mistake. And now I want everyone that I conveyed my false message to that that was OK to also know that it's not. And that was very much appreciated. She didn't do all of this extra stuff. You know, she didn't put on a performance. <laughs> exactly. Let's say. Yes. Which made it feel very genuine. And I think, you know, I, I agree with you. And when it comes to your personal environment, like really work on yourself and don't expect people to forgive you. Yeah. And I feel like also, I mean, this is genuinely a very personal tip slash advice for me as a person who does like the calling in approach in your personal environment, at least. I think if you feel safe in the in the moment emotionally and 
or not safe, but um, stable. And if you have the privilege to have these conversations, have them. Because I know, like, living in Bulgaria as a Jew, it was very hard to have these conversations, so I avoided them. And I would be very happy when my non-Jewish friends would, you know, help out with that. And I think it can apply to different things. I think if you're knowledgeable on, um, for example, I don't know, whatever the issue is that you have some knowledge on and you feel like you, this person let's say they're going to be can't okay let's not even look at the canceled part but more like i don't agree with what they're saying um it's wrong it's hurtful and it's harmful yeah um i feel like if you have the privilege and emotional stability do try to have the conversation but of course only if they're willing to because some people are like just going to mock you make fun of you and trigger you yeah like there but there are people who genuinely don't know and even though i agree there's a lot of information out there for some reason it hasn't reached them, then do take that step. I do want to encourage that because I think it's cr- like super important for me. Um, and yeah, that's that's my personal take on it. Yeah, yeah, that's really the role of allyship is to really take that on, to, to really become an ally in these situations. Agree. Well, thank you to everyone who listened to Genesis and I. We're very happy to have had this conversation and if you have any thoughts about this because there is no right and wrong really on this topic well maybe there's a little bit of right and a little bit of wrong but it's very (laughs) there's a it's very nuanced let's say so um do let us know what you think and yeah and thank you genesis for joining me to all you lovely listeners and we'll catch you in our next episode